All right. So we have on with us today on the podcast, we are having Eli Harwood, the attachment nerd. She is going to be joining us because we have a really sensitive topic. And the reason we are doing this podcast episode is because I have experienced this with not one child, but two of my children have been through a really bad experience at school that took multiple rounds of me going back and forth to the school to have any resolve. Um, Mm. And with my situation, I'll go into that in detail, but I did want to just give you a little bit of a heads up. This is going to have some content in it that you might want to listen to before you share it with your kids. But I do want this to be something that we can share with our kids because I've already talked with my kids from age five to 15 about it. They all have heard all the details of how this has worked out, but also the whole point of this podcast with Eli is to help you teach your children to watch for these signs so that they can avoid um, being a victim or Mm. being um, caught in a situation that's really uncomfortable. Okay. So Hi, Eli. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, You know, that's always a funny question because you think, well, what would you like to know? I'm Chipotle over Qdoba. I'm gummy candy over chocolate. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a licensed therapist and I have been practicing for almost two decades. And I recently had a passionate pull to start educating parents about all of the things that they can do to prevent the things I see kids and families coming into therapy for, because some of them we can't prevent, but some of them we can. And specifically around the way that we relate to our children, we have a ton of power over that. And that has a ton of impact over how our children see themselves, the way that they relate to others, what they expect from others in terms of how others will treat them, etc. So I have been running my mouth on the internet. I wrote a book that's about helping you resolve your own attachment issues. And that's coming out in January, 2024. And then I've also created a whole class resource community platform on my website so that parents can get all of the information they need to help raise secure children. Love it. Wow. So I found you on some sort of video that you had been putting out about children and things that, um, you know, just helpful tips and they were short and to the point and like really tangible, like we could make a difference. And so when I reached out to you a few months ago, we were in the heart of dealing with one of my children was sexually assaulted at school, a third grader. So, um, the school didn't even punish the children. They just had a conversation with, the class. Mm. And my child is scared that it's going to happen again. And like, they're scared to go to school and they have to be around this child. They're doing the same sort of things on a regular basis that they did when the assault happened. And, um, it's heartbreaking. The school didn't do anything. I went three different times. I went to the school to talk with them and say, look, this is not a no big deal situation. Why, why is this getting swept under the rug? Like this is a big deal. So what happened with my son was he, and I did get his permission. I made sure that he had, he agreed that I could share this on my podcast to help other people. Um, 
So what happened was he and some friends were playing tag and one of his friends was annoyed that he wouldn't go and play Legos with him and kept chasing him around and then threatened him that if he didn't play Legos with him, that he was going to touch him in his privates. And um, before recess was over, which is like 30 minutes, right? Um, Not only did that child touch his privates, but other children also did because they were playing together and chasing around the playground and not just one child, but three children touched his privates um, at the same time while he was being restrained, pushed against a wall with his arms behind him. So he didn't have, or, or he was, he was not able to get away from the situation. It wasn't like he could do anything. Now, looking back, obviously, had he known to get help with the threat, Mm -hmm. he could have potentially avoided this situation, but the school acted like this was a, you know, tap and run kind of game that all guys just play that way. Um, My child is feeling like he's the victim of an assault here. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to protect his emotions, whether you think it was a problem or a big deal or not. My child received it as a big deal. Um, And how would you as an adult like to sit in a meeting next to someone who touched your private parts without permission? Right. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit quietly. I'm certainly not going to be able to pay attention and learn anything sitting at the table or in the room with someone who did that to me and nobody cared. Right. That's how my child was feeling. So I went to the school three times the night it happened. I wrote the whole, everything, every word that came out of his mouth. I typed it into my phone and sent it to his teacher. Mm. She knew what happened. The next morning we went to school and I talked with the counselor Mm. Um, and then I could tell that he was visibly upset. And so I took him to the car to talk to him for a minute and he just broke down and melted. And so I took, I was like, I'm not going to make you go to school today. Like they need to fix this before you come and sit in class with this kid again. Right. It's a small school. It's a charter school. So there's not, it's a little bit different rules and expectations than a public school or, you know, whatever it's, they have their own things that they have to do. So, (laughs) um, that was at like, I don't know, eight 30 that we finished that conversation with the counselor Mm -hmm. at around lunchtime, like 11, 11 the counselor calls me and tells me that I needed to bring him back to school that day. And he needed to just face his fears. Oh, Lord have mercy. So I was, um, Absolutely not sending my child back to school if that's their approach. And I did send him to school the next day and had talked with her about it. And uh, during the time that we were talking to the counselor in the school that morning, she said to him about the Lego situation that they just needed to sit down together and, you know, sit down across the table and talk it out. Like my child is reporting a sexual assault. Those words, sit it down and talk it out. Do not need to come out of your mouth because that's all he hears. And now he's afraid of you. Yes. So, I mean, just watching my child react in these ways. And I knew that, okay, (laughs) you're not going to be here today because they need to figure out how to handle things. Um, And they clearly have no policy for addressing this, for understanding it, for how to help a child who's enacting it or a child who's been harmed by it. Like there's, 
their whole matrix is around conflict as opposed to around abuse. So I understand that this child is young enough that they don't fully understand, like they're not sexually developed. So they don't understand the sexual nature of this, but they understand that it's frightening and threatening and they're using it in order to control another child, right? And so they're growing up in a home likely where punishment and control is at the center of how they're being related to. And so they're emulating that with other kids, right? You don't do what I want. I'm going to do something you don't like that motivates you to do what I want, right? Which is kind of like the basics of like a behavioral authoritarian-based parenting schema, right? But you don't finish your dinner, fine. You don't get any breakfast tomorrow. You don't clean up your room, fine. I'm going to just take all your toys and send them to Goodwill, right? So that's that mentality that kids absorbed and now is in this school environment. He's like, you don't want to play Legos with me? Fine, I'm going to touch you in the private parts. And I'm going to get these other boys to do it too. And we're going to like really like make you feel punished so that you'll do what I want you to do. And the system around it is essentially saying, well, the problem is, is that you didn't just do what he wanted you to do. And so let's get back to how you guys could have agreed to play Lego so he wouldn't touch your private part. No, no, like the message that just sent to both children uh, around this. I mean, I'm just thinking about all the other people that this child who instigated is going to interact with over the years like what did he just learn like he just learned that I can do things like that and it's okay like that kid needs support we need to figure out what's going on in his world how he's doing where did he learn that to, to use that as a tactic or a tool um and to recognize that a real trauma has occurred for a child right so I mean What does it look like to make sure they're never sitting near each other to make sure that he's, I mean, this is hard with charter schools in a public school. I'd say that kid needs to be moved classrooms, right? Like, and then there needs to be a program with him and his parents. There needs to be some guidance for them on what happened and how they need. And I, and I don't tend to be like, he needs to be punished. I'm not saying he needs to be punished. I'm saying the child who was harmed needs to feel safe in the space again. And the child who did the harming needs to be able to really fully process how serious the harming was, that it meant that this other child feels this unsafe and they need to be moved, et cetera. Right. So, I mean, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry that you were in a situation like this. I wish I could say I hadn't heard this story before. I've heard it so many times. It's just heartbreaking that we don't address these issues in our school systems. I mean, we don't trust them anywhere. Like you start talking about abuse anywhere. People are like, okay, this is uncomfortable. All right. I'm going to go get a lunch. Bye. (laughs) There's two sides to every story. Yeah. Mm, Sure. But like, also no, like, do we say that when someone's like been, you know, severely victimized to the point of they've been murdered? Do we say, well, like, I don't know. There was two sides to that story. Well, no, you don't. Right. Like you look at the context and potentially there's context confusion around these types of things, right? Like if we find out that, you know, a, a child had said to the other child, had made the threat initially, if you don't stop asking me, I'm going to touch your private parts. And then the child's like, no, I'm going to touch your private parts. Okay. Well, we're having a different discussion, right? Like what's occurred is, you know, an inappropriate self-defense that came across threatening and then a response of that threat back at that child. I mean, that's a different dynamic, but what you're describing is simply your child was not consenting to play. They did not want to play Legos. And that is their right. We do not force children to play with other children for this exact reason. 
But the child who instigated this abuse had no plan for what they do when someone doesn't want to play with them or doesn't want to engage with them. There was no plan there. They had no skill set. They had no skill set to say, okay, no problem. I hear you. You said, no, I'm going to find someone else to play with. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go ask a teacher for help. Like that's the skill set that's missing there. The skill set that's missing is not your child deciding to want to play Legos. No, and not at all. And so when I heard all of these things from the school and then the day that my son reported it and went, you know, was not in school, they had the middle school male counselor sit down with all of the male students from the class and have the conversation about why we don't touch private parts and um, that that tap and run game is not okay and made it seem like other children were playing that game as well when my child knew nothing of this ever happening before him. Um, not saying it didn't, I'm just saying there was... It was irrelevant to what happened, in my opinion. And it completely erased any seriousness of what my child was feeling. Um, And if it happened to him, like, it's like, oh, no, this didn't happen to you. This is just this thing that all, all, and it's, it's like, it's creating victim blaming in the sense that it's like, this is a problem with all of you boys, you boys. You boys stop doing this. And, And it's how demeaning to boys also. Boys will be boys kind of business. No, I was so upset. And so I went back to the school on Thursday. So this happened on Monday. It happened on Monday. On Tuesday, he was out of school. On Wednesday, I was busy. I was um, out of town. So I had a fully booked schedule. I wasn't able to handle it on Wednesday. I did call the school, request that um, they stayed, you know, they had confirmed that they would be on opposite sides of the room and the teacher my child did say he felt really safe with the teacher and that um, they would keep them apart and keep an eye on things. So what ended up happening was my child had to play by himself because that child was playing with other friends and doing the t- the games and things that my child wanted to play. It was raining. They had oh. recess. So they were stuck in the classroom and my child was over playing by himself and felt completely ostracized by everyone else because they wanted to play with the other kid. And so I went back to the school Thursday morning and sat down with the vice principal. I was like, look, this is what's going on. This is what happened yesterday when I sent my child back in Um, two things. So when I sent him back in on Wednesday, I asked because I couldn't be at the school. I had a meeting out of town and I had to be there. Um, the counselor I knew was going to sit down and speak with him. So I told him to have her call me so that I could be on speakerphone during the conversation so that he felt like I was there with him and he was more comfortable. Well, he asked her to call him and she said she didn't think that was necessary. And so she didn't even attempt it. So when I sat down with the principal on Thursday morning, um, I went off mm-hmm. very respectfully. Sure. But you were firm. This yep. Like I spoke just like I'm speaking now. I said, this is unacceptable. I do not appreciate that he, that I was not called during this conversation when my child requested that I be called. Why would you not call? There's no reason for you to not call a parent. How easy is that? And we're talking about a sexual abuse or assault that happened at school. And you told my child that they didn't need a parent with them. I mean, who gives you that right? I, I'm so upset with you about this, that that was unacceptable. And I'm really upset. If this was a child that had a past sexual, you know, abuse history, right, right. how badly could you have set them back 
with the way you're handling this right now. Number two, if this child did this at third grade and has this level of consequence, which is completely invisible to anyone looking in on the situation, there is no noticeable difference in his behavior in Mm -hmm. him asking my child nonstop that Wednesday to play with him all day. Why don't you play with me? Why won't you play with me all day long? He was harassed to play with him. And he had to stand up for himself about it like all day long when he was there. So the principal, um, I said, that's really two problems. And then third problem is where did this child get this behavior? This either happened to him. He saw it happen or, um, you know, this didn't come from nowhere. This comes because someone exposed them to this behavior, you know, this sort of threatening behavior or this, you know, he, if he has an older sibling at home or something, you know, maybe someone at school, I don't know where this came from, but I'm concerned for him as well. If this Mm -hmm. is happening to him, his parents need to be aware and they need to protect him because this is a big deal. And this is the age when you need to make a big deal out of it because what's going to happen when they get into middle school and all those hormones are involved. Like that's, not fixable at that point. Like you've, I mean, it's fixable, but I know, but yeah, more work. The point of intervention. Absolutely. So I just was, I just told him, I said this, 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 and this, and I gave him this whole list of things that I said, and there's absolutely no noticeable difference. This child is still asking my child to play with them all day long. He's feeling like it's going to happen again. Like he is literally scared to go to school Mm. because he thinks it's going to happen again. They're playing the same exact way on recess. They're running around and playing these same games and different things. And he is not feeling like he's being protected from the situation. And I am just really, I want you to do, I expect better. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you the opportunity to do better as a school, because this yeah. is not acceptable to handle this situation in this way. Yeah. And what do you say? And he said that he was going to go and take care of it. He was going to go and uh, pull each of the children that were involved from the classroom and have a conversation with them. And um, then I never heard from him again. (laughs) Never heard another word from him. No follow-up emails, no follow-up anything, um, nothing. And my child could tell zero difference. Friday, nothing. So I gave him all day Thursday to make a difference, all day Friday to make a difference. This is something that happened on Monday. And there was a a death from a in the family. Um, in the, you know, one of the children's parents had passed away that that morning. So oh the administration had a lot going on that they were juggling and trying to figure out how to handle that and um those other things as well. So I I'm not trying to you know be an issue for the school, but this is a big deal and it needs to be addressed. And y'all need to have a better way of handling this kind of situation because this does not cut it. This does not cut it. And if, if my child had had an abusive past, I mean, my goodness, I don't want to even think about how damaging this week of trauma could have been for him. So Having not heard anything from a single person from the school, I did get a message from the counselor just stating that she spoke with him. That was it. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're ill-equipped, right? So I think the compassion we have for them is they're ill-equipped. They haven't been trained. There hasn't been um, 
either an issue brought forward before that they've had to kind of go through and think through, like, what's our process? How do we handle this? What are the things we're saying? Right. So a couple of things in terms of what you can be teaching your children, because these things exist, right? We live in a world where there's bullying. We live in a world where there's sexual abuse. Like um, people often relate to their children through dominance. And so then their children relate to your children through that dominance or another word would be violence, right? Like this violating way of relating. Um, what you want to do as you're raising your children is to teach them they have full body autonomy around touch, affectionate touch, and play. You get to decide who you play with, you get to decide who you hug, you get to decide who you, you know, lean up against. Like you get to say who comes into your bubble, right? And then you're teaching them body safety rules as well. I just actually launched a whole free webinar on preventing childhood sexual abuse. So if you go to my website, you can go to attachmentnerd.com and click on free sexual abuse prevention webinar. And I go through this stage by stage by stage. So I start at like age zero, you're teaching your kids what the anatomically correct names are for their private parts. And you're doing that because you're making it possible for them to come to you and say, someone so-and-so touched my vulva. They touched my anus. They touched my penis. They you know, licked my ear. They can say things like that. They can start to understand like something felt off and here's the words I have to talk to you about it, right? And if you're relating to them with this kind of sense of their authority over their body, um, every morning I say goodbye to my twin girls and one of my twin girls wants the works when it comes to affection. She wants multiple hugs, multiple kisses, lots. And my other daughter, I don't, I think separating, there's something about it that's kind of like sensory overstimulating for her. So I say, you know, do you want to kiss? Do you want to hug? And I would say probably one out of five times, she says, yes. She's like, I want to hug. I'm like, great. And the other four out of five times, she's like, no. I'm like, okay, love you. Have a great day. And like what I'm helping to set her up for is to believe that it is truly her right to say no, to touch. So that if someone is continuing to violate her or trying to touch her in ways that she doesn't want to, she's empowered to be like, uh, no, you're wrong. I'm not wrong for not wanting this. You're wrong for continuing to try to get it from me when I said I don't want it, right? And I think all of this played out with your son in the sense that he didn't like what happened. He knew it wasn't his fault. He told you about it, right? He was empowered enough to kind of bring it up. Um, telling our children will believe them. And I have people occasionally say like, but what if my kid lies about stuff? Well, that's a part of the lesson learning. You know, if you say like, I'm gonna always believe you if you tell me someone hurts you, you know, and so if you get the suspicion that the thing they're telling you might be made up or, you know, they're using it as kind of like leverage to not get in trouble for something, you know, it's like, okay, I hear you. Here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to go do these things. So anytime you tell me that, you know, someone's hurting you, I'm going to make sure they can't keep hurting you, right? So I'm going to make sure that you're separate from them. And here's what, 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 and kids generally will come out with the truth if they, if they were manipulating the truth for some reason, and then you can get to the heart of like what was really going on for them. But in general, we want our kids to know, like, you tell me something's off, I believe you. Because more often than not, if something's off, it's off. It's not because they're making it up or they're lying. Right? Uh, and then creating that trusting relationship in general where you're a safe place for them to have tender feelings. You know, we, we don't want our kids to think that there's something wrong if they're upset or crying or they're having a hard time. Like we want them to be like, yeah, welcome to the human race. We feel all these things and your my job is to create a big soft landing space for you to feel all those things and be soothed and understood and supported and whatever it is that comes our way, we'll face it together.
whatever it is. Yeah. I love that you have that webinar. I'm excited to look into that. That's great. And I'm all my listeners, I will share that in the show notes. I'll put the website and everything so that you can find that and just click on it really easily. Um, but I did want to share what happened at the end. So the Monday, um, I sent a long email Friday afternoon, obviously Mm -hmm. nobody got to it. I wanted to make sure that my words were right and that I was not too hot headed or Mm -hmm. too passive. I wanted to make sure that I had it right. So I put the words together and it literally took me half of Friday to get all of my words of course, in in that email. And it was a lengthy email. And I sent it to the head of this. I sent it to multiple people at the school and tagged the principal, anybody that I had talked to, Mm -hmm. put it all in there. And I copied and pasted every bit of the text that I sent to the teacher. This is what I sent this time. These are the conversations that I had with this person. This is what I had with this person. This is what they said they would do. And this is where we are. My child is still feeling unsafe, no resolve, still Mm -hmm. playing the same games, fending and fending off you know, these same children every single day at recess, this is unacceptable for him to feel this way at school. You're not doing your job to protect him and give him a safe learning environment. If this is how you've handled it. And this is what we're doing so far a week, you know, five days in come on people. This is unacceptable. Like this is round three of me going back at you to discuss this. So Monday morning, I get a fur, you know, phone call like seven 30, right. And they're like, Hey, I got your email. I'm the assistant to the, you know, assistant to the vice principal because everyone else has gone to the funeral. Mm. She's like, can we, you know, are you able to wait until Tuesday? No, absolutely not. Mm. This is not resolved today. I will have, I will be forced to get loud with this. Mm. I have a podcast. I can say things. (laughs) I don't want it to have to go that way because I want them to do better. I want the next time this happens, if it ever happens again, which chances are it will, will. I want them to know how to handle the situation. I want them to be taking care of other children. And I always stated that in every conversation I said, if this were another child that had, you know, it's not about my child in this situation as much as it is about taking care of this, this type of situation for anyone else in the future of this school. Dealing with it, with you as the teacher, you all the the other people who will interact with these kids in their future, right? Like it's like, don't address a violent behavior and, and really truly like look at the underpinnings and help guide a child and help them understand the severity of it. Like we've essentially become complicit with normalizing that behavior. I don't want my child to think this is okay. I want my child to know that this is a very big deal because what if my child, because this does happen when children are sexually abused, they often will attempt this on someone smaller than them. They're trying to process. They're trying to understand it. Right. So, I mean, I, this is not my first round with sexual assault and people that I love. So I understand how big of a deal this is. And this is so minor on the scale of the, you know, assaults that can happen. However, as a school, it is very important that it not be a no big deal issue because it is a big deal because what's going to happen to that kid when they get to middle school. Yes. And they have all those. I mean, it, it that's what I want to address. I want to make sure that yes. they really do make an impact and really take care of it. And I want my child to feel safe. Yes, sure. I could pull him out and put him in a different school. Right. But how does that fix the problem? It doesn't, he doesn't feel like the 
anybody else other than me felt like it was a big deal. Right. That's how he felt through the whole situation at the school until I went in. And he continues to lose more and more and more and more as a result of what happened. So then what happened next? So I went in, I I left that whole email and I let it be something that everyone could, you know, anybody that read it knew what was going on in the situation. You didn't have to go asking other people for the information because I put all the conversations in there. Um, So I ended up having a meeting with them at the end of the day on Monday, the, the principal was, or vice principal was on the call, a different one (laughs) was on the call, um, speakerphone during the conversation but the whole point was I was like I want to see the video of the playground like this is my child asked for it in the first meeting he wanted Mm -hmm. to see video Uh, we asked the vice principal on Thursday could we see the video he said Mm -hmm. he would pull it up and try and get it for me no never heard from him again about this to this day have not heard another word from him at all so Mm -hmm. I, I and I'm just afraid that I will not be kind. So I have not tried to do my part in reaching out on that. And so anyways, they did address it. The child, um, they did have a big meeting with the child's parents. The child was not at school the next day after that. So, and the behavior changed. So there was a noticeable difference. I'm like, finally, it took a whole week for you guys to, to, like, why, why do we have to Makes we are, I think we are still as a culture trying to figure out how to have these discussions and conversations and address sexual abuse. You know, I, I've talked a little bit in my um, social media platforms about how I bring the topic of sexual abuse up anytime someone has access to my children that I just talk about it. We talk about body safety rules. We talk about anatomically correct names. Like I'm trying to get us to a point where it's we can actually discuss it because until we are comfortable as the grownups discussing this problem, then it is going to continue at this mass volume. Right. And and I think what you were doing as you were, you were enacting pressure for policy change, like there needed to be a policy around this and a process around this. And, and what you help this administration see is that when you address it, seriously and and you you make sure that the child who instigated understands how problematic their behavior was that's when the situation changes not when we ask the child who was victimized to stand up for themselves no my gosh that was that was the most frustrating part was that my child had to continue to fight at school for his own boundaries like this is, he's definitely not learning anything that was taught that week because <laughs> oh, he was in a, you know, fear state, safety, safety mindset, not learning mindset. Yes. So, well, I mean, I'm so glad he's had a mama who believes him and hears him and that he continued to tell you what was happening and that you were able to go in and use your, your mama bear voice to make some change. And I hope that they really did make change and that they won't pass it off just to, you know, make it easy the next time. Like, I I really hope that I I got enough people's attention with that. And I told the counselor, I said, when you said this, I put it in the email. I said, this really upset me when this was said. And, you know, saying that when a child is reporting a sexual assault, that they need to sit down and talk it out, no matter what your intention was, that's all that my child heard. And that's it's wrong. Okay. It's, that is not the right process. That is that, that is, is the wrong process. 
not okay. That's all my childhood. And now they're afraid of you. Yes. And there were two other things. I don't remember. Oh, and saying that he needed to face his fears. That was the other thing that I put in there. Like, why would you ever, I mean, do you want, let's face, let you face your fears. Let, let's let, let me hold your arms back and let my husband sexually assault you real quick. Just let him just like tap you. Right. Like, let's just tap and run. Okay. See how you feel coming into a meeting next time. Right. You want to give that a try? And why would we, why would we give a, a standard for children that is a lower protective standard than we would for an adult? Like an adult at least can process the information and knows that they're going to get away. Like a child can't even process. It's, it's terrible. I love the way that you reframe that so that they could kind of sit with how problematic what they were saying was. Cause then I, I genuinely think what's hard about these situations is that these administrators didn't really recognize why this particular issue is a separate issue than two kids not getting along the playground. Like they, they really didn't get it. And I want, I mean, I'm curious about their own journeys and their own stories, right? Did they cope with their own sexual abuse by ignoring it and dismissing it and, you know, facing their fears? Did they, have they never had that experience? And so they just are naive to what it is like. I don't know. Um, Man, I'm so glad you did it though. Yeah. I hope all of your listeners feel inspired and empowered. Um, I was just thinking of a friend. I have a friend who recently her kindergartner was being strangled by another kindergartner. Um, and I, I'm going to send her this podcast for the time. So she'll just relate to you because the process of addressing that was very similar. It's like the administration did not know what to do. And so her child has ended up with a lot of like consequences, meaning that like, she feels like she's in trouble because she's the one that shared. And so, I mean, but they, they weren't able to say like, oh, this child's not okay. And this needs to be addressed. That is <sighs> so disappointing. Like don't schools require them to be equipped with some level of trauma? So this is also a charter school. So yes, public schools are required. Charter schools are a different beast and private schools are a different beast. So I mean, there's, you know, as you make your education decisions for your children, there's complexity of like, what's going to be best for my child? Is it smaller classrooms? Is it this particular learning style? All those things come into play, but know that there are more policies in a public setting because there, there are laws around it, right? There are, there is a global governing body. Whereas when you go off into these smaller institutions, they kind of build as they go. And so you might be the guinea pig and your kid might be the guinea pig that figures out, hey, this is a policy we need. Why isn't this policy here? Yeah. Not to say that public schools are going to handle this well all the time. They're not. You know, so much of it is about who's in leadership. And is the leadership um, focused on connecting with children, on managing children, on you know, empowering people? Have they thought through their own biases, their own prejudices? I mean, or, you know, are they looking to like run a little empire? I mean, I think a lot of people get into like school administration because it feels really good to have a lot of power over a bunch of people. You can, I don't know. It just depends on who's there. Who's there. We've definitely experienced the, the, the gamut of all of those administrators and leaders and I had a and then the amazing ones, right? The ones where you're like, you can you run for president? You're you're such an incredible principal, vice principal, head teacher, whatever. Like, you know, thank you for leading from the heart and listening, and you know, creating an environment where kids feel safe. Yeah, because they're not able to learn if they don't feel safe, and that's all there is to it. I mean, 
That is so important. Eli, thank you so much for joining me in this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing so much of this helpful information. I will definitely be linking that webinar for my listeners because that is, I'm sure, full of so much goodness. I feel so comforted knowing that you are parenting out in the world and speaking up in the systems that need to hear about how these things impact our kids. I'm really proud of you. Thank you so much. All right. I will share all of your information and make sure that my listeners have access to even more of your good stuff. Thank you. you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. You too. You too. Okay. See you soon. Okay. Bye, Jennifer.